Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I'm grateful for my dog, Remy. And yes, I've used him in an intro before, but I've been doing this over 100 times, and it bears repeating. So as of this recording, I am 599 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome, Crescent. Hi, great to be here. Excellent to have you. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. My name is Crescent Diamond, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm queer, bisexual, lesbian, kind of use all of those identifiers. And I've been sober from alcohol for 12 years and three months. I've been sober from weed for like over 13 years. So yeah, happy to be on here. I am a filmmaker, and I'm also a life and recovery coach and career coach. And so I have two careers now, which is really fun. I'm in the Bay Area of California. Oh, very nice. And what are some of your favorite hobbies or things to do that you've maybe found or rediscovered in sobriety? Yeah, I mean, I don't have, I'm a person that maybe doesn't have a lot of hobbies, but I have always loved dancing, like dancing at clubs, dancing at parties. And thankfully, I was able to find a way to continue doing that, even though I might be one of the only sober people at the club. My partner was just remarking about how, you know, that can be hard to be the first person on the dance floor and not really care what people think. So I love dancing. I love yoga, tarot, biking, hiking, really love watching TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard to admit, but true yes. <laughs> and film, but you know, it's kind of the golden age of television right now. So I'm pretty into it. And I also really like to paint, even though I'm not so great at it, I, I do enjoy it. Oh, and Probably my the time the thing that I spend the most time with is my dog Cappuccino, who is an elderly Chihuahua, and he is very sweet and also kind of a daredevil. So yeah, he takes up a lot of my time and love. <laughs> I can understand that with with my dog as well. We're getting ready to to go on a little couples retreat for the weekend, and we're bringing him with us. And it's like we have to make sure everywhere we go, the dog can go, or that the dog will be happy because we don't want the dog mad on our vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like having a child. Not as hard, but but close. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. <laughs> and why don't we dive into a little bit about what your journey with alcohol and marijuana and addiction was like? Sure. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, my primary addiction is definitely weed. 
But I soon found out that there are other things that I was addicted to. I started smoking weed when I was like 13, probably, and also drinking around that time. And I just always had a really low tolerance for alcohol. So I would get drunk, you know, easily with two drinks. And I I wanted to quit. I really wanted to stop smoking weed probably in my 20s and 30s. I was smoking every day. It was a problem because I would smoke before work or I was also struggling with depression for quite a while. And I was in therapy and my therapist was like, you know, you're not going to get any recovery in your depression if you don't stop smoking weed. And I really just couldn't do it on my own. I All my friends smoke weed. They sold it. It was just like a part of our lives, intrinsic part of my life. And also around that time, I was in graduate school, which was great. And I was just finished my first year and I got this amazing fellowship to pay for my remaining years of graduate school. I went to graduate school for film and it's very expensive, you know, and all the equipment and all this, and it was going to pay for everything plus my, you know, living expenses. And I knew that if I got, you know, arrested, it was illegal at the time. (laughs) If I got arrested or if I got caught driving and smoking weed, which I did all the time, then I would lose the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me really was getting this fellowship. So that was a big motivator. And I also had just had gone through a breakup and I was realizing I'm not going to be able to process this breakup in a way that will really be healing if I'm just, you know, smoking weed all the time. And so my therapist actually told me about a 12-step group for marijuana addiction. And I went and pretty quickly I was able to stop and I worked the steps and I had a sponsor. And, you know, I think the biggest gift for me besides you know, getting sober was that I gained a spiritual life. I gained a spirituality that was all my own. And about a year into recovery in that program, I realized that I was acting out in dating and relationships and sex, and that that was also tied to using alcohol because I couldn't use weed anymore. And so I would come home from school or work and want to take the edge off. And so then I would think, oh, I can have a drink. And I never did that before when I was smoking weed. I never drank on my own or anything like that. And I knew that my father had been an addict and an alcoholic. I wasn't raised by him, but I did have that information. And so I was like, oh, I probably am an alcoholic as well. And then I also noticed in when I was dating at the time, you know, they tell you not to date in your first year of recovery. I did not listen to that. Mm-hmm. should have. And it was when online dating kind of first started. And so then I would meet people. I was dating men and women at the time. And I would meet people. And then I would jump into a relationship within a week or two weeks or whatever and jump in, into bed. And then I would realize, oh, I don't really know these people. I don't really like these people. What am I doing? I would, you know, sometimes even disassociate. And so I realized that part of that pattern was that I would drink in order to be okay with dating people that I didn't really know or sleeping with people that I didn't really know. So it's dangerous on many fronts, especially being a woman. It's dangerous to be sleeping with people that you don't know. I mean, no judgment against it at all. But for me, it didn't feel safe, really. And then 
you know, knowing that the only way I was able to kind of do this was through drinking. I was like, okay. And, oh, and I saw this pattern the most when I was working my step four in my first program, I was like, oh, I have a problem with relationships and dating. And if I don't like alcohol that much, maybe I should just quit because it's clearly a problem in my life. And, and I could be addicted to anything. That's the kind of person I am. And I don't want to have a bottom with alcohol. So I was able to stop drinking about a year after I quit smoking weed. And I got into a program for sex and love addiction. And that was like a graduate level 12-step program. And really what I learned the most in that program was about learning to love myself. I learned a lot about codependency and I learned a lot about boundaries, figuring out what my boundaries were, what they need to be, what kind of relationships do I want? And I was single for the first time in my life for like three years, almost three years, which was hard in the beginning because I really was kind of addicted to being in relationships, but it really got so much easier and better. And I really enjoyed it after a while. And I know that I couldn't have done that work if I had been smoking weed or drinking. I could not have been present and had those boundaries and known, oh, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I want. This feels good. This doesn't feel good. I don't like this person. You know, and I, I think for me in the beginning of recovery, that was one of the biggest issues was that I knew that I wasn't being present with myself and with other people, that I was partly checked out a lot of the time. And so that I couldn't really express myself, express my needs. I was staying in relationships that were super unhealthy, that didn't feel good. And the way that I was able to stay in them was by being high, you know, or being drunk. So, you know, I did that program. I also later, you know, it's been 13 years. I I later got into programs around money and debt and food. And, you know, I've just got a lot of recovery from 12-step programs. I also did a lot of therapy, coaching, and, you know, continue to try to work do work in recovery, but I have to say it is a little harder after a while. And I really applaud people who just continue to go to meetings every week and do service. I think doing service was so helpful for me, especially in the beginning. I was a secretary of meetings for years and years. I really encourage people to do that because it does keep you coming back. You know, I was a sponsor many times and being a sponsor is so helpful because it forces you to show up for somebody. And in a way, it kind of reminds you, well, it reminds you of what it was like, but also teaches you about why you want to stay sober and kind of holds you accountable because, oh, if you, you know, drink or go out, then you can't sponsor this person. So you're letting them down, right? And somebody who you have this intimate relationship with. Also, I think it really teaches us how to have relationships. It's a really good example of a relationship and boundaries and you know, hopefully your sponsor is a really good example for you. Yeah. So, you know, what it's like now is there's just so much freedom in terms of I'm not struggling with this stuff on a daily basis. I think, you know, the one thing I do struggle with is sugar. But even that, when I quit sugar, which I am addicted to for like a week, I stopped 
struggling with it. So, you know, so much of it is like getting through the kind of withdrawal period of when it's a substance. And then the rest of it is about how do I rebuild my life or rethink my life in a way that it makes me want to stay sober because I want to be able to show up for these things because I want to have these kinds of relationships because I want to do this work. I want the life that I have, right? And I want to keep it. And I know that if I go out, it's going to get messed up. I'm going to lose it, you know, one way or another, things are going to get bad. And so that keeps me motivated to, because I can see what my life was before and what it's like now. And also continuing to go to meetings and hearing people's stories, it reminds me, oh yeah, I was like that. Oh yeah, I don't want to go through that again. Because I know as soon as I pick up, it's going to be like starting from scratch. But also, as they say, it's a progressive disease. And I believe it. Life gets harder as you get older. It gets more complicated. You have more things to deal with. And so, of course, it's going to be harder to quit again. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. And with all the, the knowledge and benefits of working so many different programs, what would you say are some of your favorite parts of being sober? I think my favorite part of being sober is the quality of my relationships. I really feel like I can be there for other people, that I enjoy my time with them, but also I can be really clear about what am I feeling and thinking, and I can express that, and I can have boundaries, and I can be... I can have choices about who I spend my time with and who I give my energy to. And I'm not just kind of like going with whatever's happening. And I really feel like my relationships are the most important thing to me. Maybe my health might be second. And and in that sense, my health is better at 45 than I was at 25 Mm. because I'm able to take care of myself and because I take care of myself so much better than I did. Right. So it's frees up all this energy and focus and money and time to do the things that you love, to take care of yourself, to be there for other people. Yeah. So I would say that's my, my favorite part. Excellent. And looking back, how do you feel your queerness played a role in your addiction or vice versa? I don't know that my queerness played a part in my addiction. Yeah. I I don't think, I don't think it did. Uh, And I'm not sure that I did in recovery, except that I really say that how my queerness has helped me in my recovery is that I've been able to find meetings that are, that have like a queer focus or that have queer people in them. And I just relate so much more to people who have a similar experience, who have a similar point of view and politics. You know, I think people who understand queer identities and sexualities can see some of the flaws in, let's say, 12-step programs or literature, and yet they're still part of it and still showing up and making it their own. And, you know, just the leadership and the love of, you know, people within the queer community at meetings is really wonderful. And I'm seeing that grow, especially with Zoom meetings in the last three years. I've just, I feel like The queer meetings may be stronger. I'm not sure. And it's just great that you can go to meetings anywhere in the world. So people who are in more isolated places can find queer elders or people in recovery that they can 
get support from and, you know, I see as role models. And I really hope one of my dreams and hopes is that we can have more spaces in our communities that are queer, that are not bars and not centered around alcohol. Um, So that's something that I would like to be part of and that I hope to see more of. I used to produce events with my friends that were pretty queer, you know, music events and dance parties and things like that. But I would like to see more just different kinds of community centers or places for queers to work together that are not centered around alcohol and drugs. I would love that too. (laughs) And what are some practices that you use in your daily life to help keep you sober? Yeah, I think... Definitely journaling helps me stay connected with myself, yoga, meditation, and really being in my body. Because I think before I got sober, I was really detached from my body. I was really kind of like a walking head. And now it's like, what can I do to connect with my body? I've learned some different kinds of energy techniques that help me connect with my body And then I think really just staying connected with my friends and people in recovery. You know, I'm in a relationship right now and I notice it's a pretty new relationship. I notice that I tend when I get into a partnership that I maybe don't reach out to my friends as much and I don't hang out with them as much and I don't have those deep conversations. And so this time around, I'm just really trying to make sure that I stay in touch with them on that deep level because that's those are the people I feel like I can really spill everything to and kind of admit if, you know, I'm feeling like a little wobbly or yeah. So those, I would say those three things. Yeah, for sure. And generally, no matter how we get sober, we generally have like a favorite quote or two that we like to try and live by or something that really sticks from us from one of our pieces of literature. Do you have any favorites that you use? Yeah, I mean, for me, always, at least from 12 step is the the part in the big book, I think it's in a story where he says, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. And I really that's sort of the basis of my spirituality is this radical acceptance of life on life's terms of reality. And so I really try to, you know, figure out what is reality and then work on accepting it. And the work of Byron Katie, she does, she has many books and talks and and one of them is loving what is. And that work really helped me find this kind of radical acceptance and a way to get there when I don't feel like I can accept things as they are. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And any last words of wisdom or advice? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different things I could say, but I guess I think it's really important to know that being uncomfortable is how it's supposed to feel when you get sober. It's really so much about doing things that feel uncomfortable, that go against what your brain is telling you to do. And to sort of just get used to that feeling, because for me, that feeling of uncomfortable, being uncomfortable and doing kind of what doesn't quite feel right is how I've actually been successful in many areas of my life, not just recovery. So yeah, I think that's, and also continue to, you know, go to meetings, 
If you don't find a meeting that you like, just keep going to different meetings and finding one where you really connect with people. Yeah. Excellent words of advice. And how would our listeners find or reach out to you if they wanted to give you some feedback or thank you for this episode? Yeah, they can go to my website, queerrecoverycoach.com. They can message me on Instagram at crescent underscore diamond underscore coach or on Facebook at Crescent Diamond. And I'm also on TikTok at Crescent Diamond. So lots of ways. But if you want to, you know, send me an email, you can from my website. Perfect. I'll be sure to add those all to the show notes. Awesome. Thank Thank, you. Thank you very much, Crescent. It was a pleasure getting to know you better. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into another episode of Gay A Podcast. You can head on over to our Patreon page to continue on with the post show we're about to record at patreon.com backslash gay A Podcast. Meanwhile, if you're interested in sharing your story, I'm an email away at gayapodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at gayapodcast. And follow us wherever you're listening so you can get these new episodes when they come out every Thursday. Until next time, stay sober, friends.